Are you sick of hearing you don't have enough experience to get work? Visit iPath.com to get the first part of our auto damage certification for free. Hello and welcome to the Independent Adjuster Podcast by IAPath. My name is Chris Stanley, and we're here to help you figure out how to get work in this industry and ultimately how to claim your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Independent Adjuster Podcast. My name is Max Olson, and today we're going to be talking all about Hurricane Ida from a first-hand experience. Now, I was down as the storm made landfall, and I actually just returned from the area yet again, surveying the damage and picking up something. I had to retrieve something that I left down there, and we're going to talk about exactly what that is here in this episode. So here's the question. How do independent adjusters and appraisers like us, who can't hide behind corporate logos, processes, and profits, who are spending our own money and reputation, how do we work in a way that lets us get work, assignments, deployments, and more income without wasting time or money in this world of insurance while we stand out in the crowd? That is the question, and this podcast will help guide you to the answers. My name is Chris Stanley, and this is the Independent Adjuster Podcast. Join myself and other independents on the path to non-corporate success in the insurance industry. We are IAs. All right, so as most of you know, Hurricane Ida made landfall in southern Louisiana a little over a week ago. It was a strong Category 4 hurricane, in fact, the fifth strongest storm to make landfall as long as records have been kept. And it was also the third major hurricane, major meaning Category 3 or higher, it was the third major hurricane to make landfall in Louisiana in the past year. So that state has been absolutely wrecked by storms time and time again over the past year. It's a really unfortunate situation. And this one is probably going to be the most costly and most deadly of those three. Now, about a week before the storm made landfall, we were already keen on the fact that there might be a system that was going to develop into something that would become a problem. We had a very conducive environment and very warm sea temperatures. And those sea temperatures were warm to a great depth. Sometimes you can have warm sea surface temperatures. So up near the actual surface of the sea, it's warm, but you go a few hundred feet down and it cools very quickly. That's not overly conducive for hurricane development because the hurricane, as it passes over that with all the wind and whatnot, will churn up that water really quickly. It'll utilize that warm water quick and then pull up the cool water, which doesn't allow for further strengthening. And that was absolutely not the case with Hurricane Ida. It passed over an area of extremely warm oceanic heat, and that was going to be a problem. We knew it from multiple days out. We just didn't know how bad it was going to get. Regardless, we made our arrangements and we started started making our way down to the coast about two days before it was Prague to make landfall. This is so that we can go scope out multiple areas in the region because, you know, at this point, two days out, we know generally where it's going within, you know, about 50 to 100 miles, but we don't know the specific location it's going to be making landfall. So we've got to go down there and scout out multiple places where we can potentially ride this thing out because we need to have an area with a suitable shelter with these three things. The first one being it needs to be strong enough to protect us from the wind 
and flying debris in the hurricane. The second, it has to have levels for us to retreat to in case the storm surge comes in, which of course is the water that is pushed inland by the hurricane or potentially even some flooding just from the heavy rains of the hurricane. We have to make sure we're able to go up at least a couple levels in case that happens. And third one is the least important uh, from a general standpoint, but for us, it's very important. It has to allow us to film because we can have a very sturdy structure and it's completely blocked off. There's no access point to film from. And then kind of what's the point of being down there if you can't see anything, if you're not able to document it, report on what's happening, it's kind of defeating the purpose. So we need to make sure that it's got multiple areas that we can go film from safely. So there we are. We're in southern Louisiana. The first town we go to scope is Morgan City. Now, this seems like the perfect place to ride it out. It's protected by levees. There's multiple hotels that are relatively new. They've got six stories, and those hotels are right next to the highway, which is elevated, meaning we could park our cars on the side of the on-ramp so they are protected by the storm surge, and then we can go back to the hotel and get ourselves in a higher spot if it even were to you know surge there and with the levees protecting it, it probably wasn't going to so we thought that was a really great spot to ride it out then as the you know landfall day started getting closer we realized oh man we're gonna have to go a little further east the uh, most intense part of the hurricane it's probably going to be coming in near golden meadow or homa and homa is a bit further inland golden meadow is a lot closer to the coast um, we obviously want to ride it out as close to the coast as possible. That's where the most intense conditions are. The hurricane doesn't have much time to weaken, and there's much less friction. If the wind is coming right off the water onto the land, there's nothing to stop it or slow it down. The further and further inland you get, obviously, there's friction from the land, the trees, the buildings. It slows the wind down a little bit, so it's not quite as intense. So we want to be as close to the coast as possible. So we go down to Golden Meadow, and we just don't have a great feeling about that area. There's not a ton of large buildings in the area. It's protected by a levee, but that levee only protects up to 10 feet, and we're looking at potentially up to 15 feet of storm surge. So we just didn't have a great feeling about that area. There were probably some shelters we could have rode it out in and been fine, but it just wasn't worth the risk of being stuck down there for multiple days if our car had issues with the storm surge or flooding. So we decided to write that off, and we headed back towards Homa, where we found an area just to the east of Homa called Matthews, Louisiana. And it was going to be a bit closer to where the hurricane we thought would make landfall, and there were some suitable shelters. So we decided, I think this is where we're going to ride it out. It also was handy because it was on the same road that goes to Golden Meadow, and we had to deploy are storm surge probes. Now, these are something I developed a few years back. I'm not the first one to do it. Other people have done it before me. But these are unmanned probes that record for up to 30 hours. We ratchet strat them to something that we think is going to survive, and they capture all of what happens around it in areas that we don't want to have to ride it out in. These are our um, these are our little cheats to be able to see what's going on in areas that are just experiencing the most extreme conditions. So we wanted to be able to deploy those, you know, obviously before the storm makes landfall, but we can't do it too early. We can't do it two days in advance because they only run for 30 hours. So we got to have a way that we can get down there before the storm is making landfall, about six to 12 hours before the storm makes landfall, set those things up, press record, and then get back out of there. 
Um, and that can be tricky, especially if law enforcement doesn't want you down there. But thankfully, in Louisiana, they're not too strict. So we were able to get down, deploy those things the night before the storm was going to make landfall. And we put them on the actual levee in Golden Meadow, looking out over the area that's unprotected. And then we put another one about a mile further inland, uh, just kind of in an area where there were some boats, there was a neighborhood, there were some power lines. And we figured that might capture something dramatic there. And if the storm surge overtopped the levees, it would obviously something capture something very dramatic. Um, so we had our two probes set down there and we had our area that we were going to ride it out, probably Matthews, but also we had Homa in our back pocket just in case. And then it's pretty much just a waiting game. So we're sitting there in our car, just waiting for this storm, waiting for this storm. And then finally we get to the morning of the landfall day and we start going around. We start getting, you know, our video of the area before and then we go to our shelter. Now, we kind of had two shelters in Matthews. The first one was this big football stadium near the school. This was a nice area because we had a little corner that was protected by concrete where we could shoot out and have a nice tripoded shot outside of the car, you know, kind of be feel like we're in the conditions, but we're protected by this giant cement wall that was on the backside of the stadium. So... That was great, but obviously, what if the storm surge comes in? Well, just across the street or just down the street from that, there was a hotel that was staying open that had four stories and we could easily retreat to that. So we had our two spots and we pretty much just kind of drove around town as conditions got worse and worse and worse. Then we retreated to our, you know, our stadium spot and filmed as the worst part of the storm came in. The roof of a building flew off just in front of us. We had carports flying. We had tree branches is rolling down the road it was you know it was a major hurricane it was a strong category for making landfall in an area that is not the most well built i mean there's well built structures there but there's also a lot of mobile homes there's a lot of uh you know relatively poorly constructed buildings two by four plywood sheet metal type stuff and a lot of them were failing unfortunately now, as the storm started to pass, we decided to get the heck out of there. Um, we knew we weren't going to be able to make it down the road 20 miles to Golden Meadow. It's one road. There's tons of trees and power lines. It was obvious they were going to be knocked down and we weren't going to be able to make it that day. We needed to give time for emergency crews to be able to clear the area, check on the people that are still down there that decided not to evacuate. You know, we just want to get out of their way. We want to allow them to do their jobs without any interference for us. We don't want to become a part of the problem. So as the eye was coming over us, the calmest part of the storm, we just sort of started making our way out of there and got onto the highway and we're, you know, kind of dodging down trees to get out of the way and start heading back home. Um, but this obviously then meant we would need to go back down there. So a week later, uh, we went and got our probes. We drove all the way back down. It's a, what is it? I think it's like an 11 hour drive from Norman, Oklahoma, where I live to uh, Golden Meadow. And um, we got down there with about two hours of light left. The law enforcement were very understanding of what we were down there to do. They let us through. And man, once we got south of Matthews, which is where we rode it out, the damage started getting really bad. It was not a good uh, it was not a good sight to see. And it was even worse as he got further south towards Grand Isle, which is a little island that uh, sits even further south of Golden Meadow. 
it was a bad situation. There's a lot of damage down there. There was a ton, a ton of downed trees and lines, obviously, and quite a bit of structural damage to homes and businesses. Um, you guys have probably seen some of the images from down there, and I can confirm it's it's not good, and it's going to take those poor people a long time to clean up. So we went down there kind of documenting what uh, the aftermath was like, and we retrieved our probes. Both of them were still there where we had attached them. Like I said, one was attached to the actual levee system that overlooked uh, the area that's not protected, and one of them was just strapped to a large uh, high-tension power pole that was looking off over some weaker power poles and just kind of an area um, of town. So we were able to get those. They worked. The hardware was running the entire time for 30 hours, and man, we got some insane footage. I'm actually in the process right now. I just got back because I'm recording this podcast. I am in the process of putting together this footage. Um, I'm making a time lapse right now that'll show the entire storm from, you know, the morning of to the evening. And it's it's kind of cool because the storm hit in the middle of the day. So you're going to see the sunrise, the conditions get worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the eye wall, the most intense part. Then it kind of clears a little bit for the eye. And then the backside comes through. And then by evening it's completely gone and it's clear and you can see the aftermath so it's it's kind of neat obviously it's a horrible situation and i don't want to sound you know insincere by saying that it's you know it's interesting to see this footage but i mean it, it's it's really pretty captivating and uh hopefully this can kind of give people an idea as to how the situation evolved down there and how some of those you know how some of those structures failed and how the levee system actually did a great job it, it does a great job of illustrating how the storm surge comes up up towards the top of the levee but it was enough to stop the surge and uh it also caught a lot of the debris that came from the areas further south that were unprotected unfortunately uh as we collected those probes and went through that debris there was a lot of um there was a lot of just random things that you would find in the house there was a there was a dvd still in its little case uh of top gun that was something that uh kind of caught my eye and there's just you know weird things like i think we found a hairbrush and just you know it's horrible i mean that's somebody's property um and you can only hope that they got out of there and evacuated because uh you know they might not have survived if they stayed down there and unfortunately i think in louisiana there's 20 something deaths from this storm because quite a few people did not evacuate we saw a number of people especially in golden meadow that were just not leaving and it's just you know unfortunately some of them economically have a very hard time doing so so they just opt to stay home as opposed to evacuating which it's hard for me to wrap my mind around but you know obviously i'm not in their shoes i don't know what they're going through so it's just it's a lot to process right because it's a giant humanitarian crisis it's it's a horrible thing but you know me as this weather nerd who's loved weather his entire life who's fascinated by the you know meteorology that goes into it just looking over the satellite data just in utter awe that this type of system can be created out of you know seemingly thin air and then going and experiencing it firsthand and seeing the raw power but you know that's that's interesting and great and whatever for me but it, it affects a lot of people so it's a it's a yin and yang type situation i hope you guys found this story interesting at least of a raw firsthand account of what it's like down in a hurricane region obviously as you know this is huge news not only in louisiana but the remnants which inundated the northeast with historic flooding 100 year flooding in some areas and there's a lot of work out there there's a lot of need for adjusters while we were down there scoping out the damage we saw some adjusters already on the ground inspecting roofs so um you know if you are trying to get out this is a big storm there's opportunities right now and there's going to be for the next couple months 
So anyways, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Independent Adjuster Podcast. It was a bit more of a story time. I'm sure we'll be back next week with more uh, pertinent information or uh, learning material type stuff. Kobe can talk to us about our finances or Chris can tell us about the latest deployment opportunities. But hopefully you guys, uh, you know, took something out of this. And if you're going down to be an adjuster on Hurricane Ida, best of luck to you. Stay safe down there. You guys are all amazing. And I'll catch you all on the next one. Are you dreaming of a career in auto damage, but find yourself not meeting the experience requirements? You can try the first part of our seven part auto damage certification for free. This allows you to dive deep into auto damage training with no strings attached. And if you love it, you can continue on and purchase the full program. With this certification, you gain not just in-depth knowledge and skills, but also an all-access pass to our exclusive community, a full year of mentorship, and yes, get the two to five year experience requirement waived with over 40 firms. Your future in auto damage begins today. Visit iPath.com to start your free trial and discover where iPath can take you. iPath, claim your life.